0: I'm Chris Farrell from the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast, a wacky weekend morning show, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Intellectual Podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. I'm your host, David S. Dawson. I'm a filmmaker in San Diego, California, and I started The Intellectual eight seasons ago because I love exploring the stories of how people who pursue creative endeavors get to where they are. The conversations in each episode are not interviews. We strive for a more casual chat with our guests, and we let the natural flow of conversation run its course as much as we can. This often leads us into surprising territory, not just for you and for me, but often the things we explore surprise even our guests. We often follow up our conversations with our guests on the Clubhouse app, So please join us on Clubhouse. You can visit our club page by visiting us online at intellectualchats.club. And if you need an invite to the app, be sure to check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts at The Intellectual regularly, as we post links to our discussions there with invite codes. If you enjoy this conversation, I hope that you'll subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. We're easily found if you search The Intellectual Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Now, let's get on with this week's chat with another amazing creative. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The Intellectual Podcast starts now. Welcome to the Intellectual Podcast. I'm your host, David S. Dawson. Thank you for joining us today. Joining me as usual, my co-host, Whitney Wegman Wood. Hi, Whit.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: Uh, Whitney, you've been on a tear getting us all sorts of really great guests lately. Who's our guest today?
1: Today, we have Michelle Lipper. Michelle and I met via Clubhouse, and Michelle sent me uh, a brief oversight of her journey through being a creative, and I, it was it's very interesting, but I'll let her tell it because, as she was saying, there's a lot of twists and turns to her story. So, hi, Michelle, how are you
2: doing today? Hi guys, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
0: Oh, thanks for joining us. So, first things first, where'd you grow up? How'd you become an actress? Let's let's take that first part of the journey with you.
2: Okay, that's the easy part. I grew up <laughs> well, I, I grew up in Montreal. I was born in Montreal, Canada. Canada. Um, I'm English. A lot of people think that Montreal is the French place, but we are we are many English. Um, and as far as how did I get into acting? Um, you know, I don't even think it was a conscious choice. I think it's just I was always singing and dance. You know, it's the, the, the usual thing that everyone says. I was singing and dancing and there's like little cassette tapes. I remember we had this like ghetto blaster in the kitchen when my mom would make <laughs> dinner or whatever and I, I just remember standing there in front of like pressing the record button down and just singing into it all the time and i actually have those cassette tapes somewhere in a box because where am i ever going to play them on but i was <laughs> you
0: got to get those converted to like yeah. digital format now or they'll be lost forever
2: that, that might be okay <laughs> um <laughs> uh, yeah, but I just, you know, I was always like making my babysitters do plays and and putting on little shows with my Barbie dolls and with myself. And I, I would sing in my closet. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of friends, um, so I, I did a lot of like singing and pretending. I had a very, very rich imagination life.
0: Do you think you didn't have a lot of friends because you had such a rich imagination
2: Yeah, probably. I was, I mean, I was a little weird and I was a little bit precocious and um, trying to be mindful of the words that I'm using because there's the words that I was labeled as. And then there's like what I know now that I was, which was super creative, super interested, super curious and imaginative. And a lot of things that were very, very frowned upon at the time that I grew up in the place I grew up. Um, So yeah, I I liked to make up stories and I liked to make up songs and I was completely useless at sports. (laughs) And that seemed to be the thing that you do with kids when they're little, you put them into sports. And I was terrible at them. I I hated them. I was bad at them. But I was also reading at like a high school level in grade two.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
2: you know, nobody else was interested in reading. And I was under a tree reading while everybody else was playing sports. So I think that kind of made me a little odd. Um, I was also very, very hyper imaginative. And I questioned everything. And I went to um, a Jewish elementary school, a Hebrew elementary school. So I very, very early on was like, what? This doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) And I would ask questions and then I would get in trouble. And the only classes I liked were English. And, you know, I was always at home watching musicals and stuff like that when everyone else was watching whatever everybody else was watching. And um, I got scared really easily so people used to tease me and Mm. tell me like the plots of really scary movies that to this day I've never seen and (laughs) I yeah it was just I I I had trouble sleeping when I was a kid because I was really really scared of the noises in my house and ghosts and and things that went on in the night that my (laughs) imagination and the books that I was reading during the day would create you know
0: very spirited imagination yeah against you right
2: um, and I just started. Uh, I guess I don't know how it happened, but my I ended up doing my first play when I was eight, like an after-school kind of program, and that's when I started doing musicals. And I was like, Oh, I get to sing and act. This is fun. I get to be on stage, and everybody's looking at me, and all the people that didn't want to be my friends are all clapping for me. You know, it's the it's, I think it's the classic actor thing. Like we're never super comfortable in the world as who we are but if you we can pretend to be other people and and be loved for that then that's sort of okay (laughs) no you're not you're like no that was your story michelle that's
0: (laughs) no i meant Um, like then you're okay
2: then you're okay (laughs) yes yes then you're (laughs) okay so i i just sort of like dove soup like head in head first into it i um after the disaster of the one camp my parents sent me to where everyone was playing sports i got to pick my own camps and i would pick camps that were very heavy in the performing arts and creative arts and acting summer theater programs and i made sure that i was always the only canadian um so i could totally reinvent myself every summer and living where I lived and growing up where I grew up and and the schools and everything like that was hell for me so it was like I would you know grit my teeth and imagination myself away during the year and then in the summer I got to be surrounded by other super weird kids that had very similar experiences to me and like minded people I just had to go and find them
1: so did you travel to the United States then for these summer yeah. camps because you said you were the only Canadian? <laughs>
2: Yes, I did. I went to a camp, um, in New Hampshire, um, for two years, a summer camp and like toured around New England in a van (laughs) with a bunch of people because they had written a musical about, um, I think it was about like recycling or something super <laughs> crunchy. And uh, we toured around New England in a van and and like Vermont and all those places. And I was always the youngest kid, but I was super mature for my age. And I, I never wanted to be put with the young kids. So I would always like put myself with the older kids. And then I went to a summer theater camp in Massachusetts. Um, and again, I like called the camp director and had them put me in with the older kids instead of the younger kids because... I'm just always like, you know, this like precocious 12 year old explaining why they needed to put me in the dorms with the 15 year olds, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but they did. And it was, I mean, you know, it was, there was always some kind of drama that happened, but those, those experiences were, were amazing. And like in the theater, the summer theater program, we did like eight plays in six weeks and people would pay to come see them. And one was a musical and one was a straight play. and, And it was just, it was that was my fun. And, um, and then high school again, like I, I kept doing theater. I kept doing community theater uh, after school and then did theater in school when that was available, even though it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> um, and it was just, I was very, very one-tracked. I was, I was very single-minded about knowing what I wanted. And at one point it like I loved singing, I loved, loved, loved singing, but then acting just sort of took it, it I guess it just became the easier route. I don't know. I, I didn't start singing in bands until later. And um, so I just kind of stuck with the acting and I, there was never a question in my mind. Like I didn't even, here we have a, a thing called Sejap. Like we graduate high school in grade 11 and then you go for two years of up, which I guess is like um, junior college. Mm -hmm. okay you guys do um and i didn't even want to do that i knew i knew the one university i wanted to go to to major in musical theater and it was in boston and i'd known about it for years and i didn't even apply to any other schools (laughs) and people would be like you know don't you want a plan b and i was like plan b why would i need backup (laughs) yeah no no i didn't i i didn't have any of those things and um yeah and i ended up going there and and I only did two years there and then I dropped out. The so reality is never quite as fantastic as the imagined reality. What you built it up to I, I be. only did
0: two years in yeah. university myself, so I get it.
2: Oh, I feel so validated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I did a tumultuous two years over a two and a half year period. and oh, then, wow. uh, And then took off to go work in concerts and stuff as a, as a lighting technician. So, oh, you know, cool. I get it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was sort of like, I don't, why should I be sitting in this class learning about world economics when I want to be acting? And I, so I used up like all my electives in the first two years, all my performing arts electives. And then I had like two years of math in front of me or something. And I was like, well, this is bullshit. I save my parents, I'm going (laughs) to save my parents 150 grand and just start acting.
0: Yeah. They had a, they had a couple of, you know, professional theater people come down and talk to our classes, uh, towards the end of my second year and I I pulled a couple of the tech guys aside and I said, so, you know, you're working in New York. How much are you guys making, you know, working off Broadway or on Broadway? And it was pretty close to minimum wage. Mm. Like, why am I bothering with a private university degree? If getting out of this means I'm going to make the same as flipping burgers. Like I should just go work.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a little bit of like later on down the line, there was a little bit of regret, but that was mostly every time I tried to get a U.S. visa and they were like, so you don't have a college degree. And and I'd be like, but I'm 40 and look at all the things I've done with my life. And they're like, yeah, but you don't have a college degree. (laughs) Okay. You know, when,
0: when did getting a college degree Become the measure of everything Like
2: It, it kind of is still
0: It's ridiculous
2: Yeah So now because of this,
1: this snag With not having a college degree Did you have to return to Canada Immediately after you left uh, Boston Or
2: um, I did not I had this year When you go to university um, From Canada into the states You get a visa That enables you to take a year after college. Um, You're supposed to, I guess you're supposed to like intern or, you know, that's the year you spend trying to get some kind of employment that that would then lead to getting a different kind of visa or maybe you marry somebody, which a lot of my friends did. Um, And so I moved to LA. My cousin um, had set up shop in LA and he was an actor. He had, he was on full house. That was his, that was his, uh, big claim to fame back then. And, um, I went and like showed up at his door and I was like, Hey, <laughs> here's a suitcase. <laughs> Can I stay here all 18 years old of me. Um, or I think I was 19. And, uh, yeah, so I did that and I ended up, interning for a producer that he connected me with at fox um which was very cool and i learned a lot about the below the line behind the scenes kind of stuff and and really actually fell in love with the process of development um unfortunately i just couldn't like get my shit together (laughs) after, after like 10 months of being an assistant in Hollywood, which is like pretty much the most demeaning job a human being could have. um, (laughs) I I decided that I needed to, I don't know. Was I there? I was there for a year or maybe two years. I think I was there illegally for a year. And, and then I ended up coming back here because I decided I wanted to start acting again and i ended up getting an agent in montreal and i was I, she was getting me so many auditions that it just didn't make sense for me to be there and i moved back to montreal and started working almost right away um which was like kind of crazy at the time because i went from only having theater experience um and then after i dropped out after i left school i auditioned for rent this is just showing my age it was the, um, they were, they were doing like these massive open call auditions for the first touring companies. Um, and I made it down to like the last two people. Oh, wow. For, yeah. <laughs> for the role of Maureen and did not get it. And it was, I was so devastated. <laughs> so I was like, I'm done with theater. Um, <laughs> and so I started doing film and television in Montreal, which at the time was like, booming and I very quickly got into the union and I very quickly started doing a lot of work and yeah I worked pretty solidly for like three years um almost too much like I went from I went from zero to a hundred in a very 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 short amount of time and I um that's kind of when everything started to get a little dark was it I mean that's when everything gets dark (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I take it. It was probably pretty overwhelming because what were you were in your twenties at this point? And then I was
2: in my early twenties. Um, and I was also having, I mean, I to like the sidebar I'd been having struggles with my mental health for many years at that point, like several years since my teens. Um, and I, and like some health problems, this will all come into make sense later on. But, um, yeah, I, I had some problems like with my energy levels and my mood swings, like crazy mood swings. And, you know, and you have hormones when you're that age. And I had a, my first boyfriend, like a real, like love of my life boyfriend. And, and I was working like 18 hours a day, six days a week. I was on two shows, like at the height of it, I was, um, I had a series regular on one show and I was a, like a a co-star on another show. And they, the turnaround, like when you're on one show, there's a, the union has rules, like you you can't have, you have to have a certain amount of hours between your turnaround. Yeah, like a 12 hour. Right, but if you're doing two different shows, If I work like 16 hours on Monday on one show, and then the next day I'm working on the other show, I don't need to have that turnaround. So I was getting like no sleep. I was, I mean, it's just like, it was like a, like a, just a big mess for, for a while. And I got exhausted and um, I really didn't have a very good support system. I didn't have any friends in the industry. I mean, I was like, my parents didn't really understand what was going on. My boyfriend at the time certainly didn't understand. And my agent was not, um, Oh, she was not a good person. (laughs) She was, she was not a good person. I think
0: it's all too common though with this business, especially folks in their early twenties when they find some success and stuff that there's, there's not a lot of good support for what they're going through. Like no. It's I mean, it's not something people relate to. So like casual friends can't really understand what you're doing and what you're trying to do and what the hours are like. And.
2: Yeah. It's like you go from being, uh, you know, nothing to people just bringing you anything you want, whatever you want. Everything was paid for every, you know, and this is on such a small scale. I mean, we're talking Montreal, level productions here you know so i mean you know it's not like i was julia roberts overnight but i still was you know i had tons of money coming in and i was getting my nails done every week and i was getting facials and i was getting you know everything was paid for and everything was right off and everything like i it was it was just a it was a great life but it was also really terrible there was no learning curve. And right. I was so young. And you know, when when people are that young, and all of a sudden, you, you have everything you think you want, your ego just kind of goes out of control a little bit, I think, if you don't have a, a solid foundation and a solid grounding, which mm-hmm. I did not have, I got all of my validation from what was being fed to me, because I did not have any I, I was not taught to, to have that from within. Right. Which well, I think that's I really, a dangerous
0: thing for a lot of actors. Cause even you mentioned yeah. earlier, you know, once you found the stage, like so many other actors, the validation of the performance was enough, right. To suddenly feel validated. That carries over as you get older, suddenly you're super successful for the thing you're doing not necessarily for being you, but for the thing you're doing. And the thing you're doing kind of takes over your entire self-identity.
2: Yeah. And then what happens when it starts getting taken away from you?
0: Which inevitably which it will. Really,
2: <laughs> which inevitably it will. And nobody prepares you. Nobody prepared me for that. Yeah. And I mean, we're just we're just not taught to prepare for that. Um and And inevitably, it did. All the shows finished or got cancelled as what happened. and um, and then i I uh, sort of got pushed into doing something that I really didn't want to do. Um, which was a project that was being sold by these award-winning female producers. Um, and it was supposed to be a show like, Starring women, written by women, directed by women, for women, 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 women impairment. And it had a lot of nudity in it, and I didn't want to do it. And I was 25, and I'd gone through a breakup, and all my shows were canceled, and I was feeling very, very worthless. And they like hounded my agent, and hounded me, and met with me, and took me a lunch. And my agent pushed me, and pushed me, and pushed me. And I ended up doing it through, through a lot of what I thought was a lot of money at me. And, um, and I did it and it ended up completely violating my sense of self, my rights. They they aired stuff that like, they weren't supposed to air contractually. Um, they were very abusive to me on set. There was no one there to take care of me. I was terrified. And after I made a big stink about it because it was wrong, what happened was wrong. And, um, my agent lied to me and told me that she was going to take care of it but instead she just covered her own ass and i didn't find that out until months later when i went to the union myself and then she found out i went to the union and she fired me and started rumors about me and then i got blacklisted and then i wasn't acting anymore for just for trying to stand up for myself wow. which, yeah and um and so I moved. I started doing. I had. I had, uh, was doing a play at the time, and I ended up moving to Toronto with one of the actors from the the play, and he got me in with his agent in Toronto. Um, and then um, I did some work. I did. I did some shows and some big parts on some terrible shows. <laughs> <laughs> um. And uh, and then I had some like some more like just kind of unfortunate, bad horror story kind of experiences of like, you know, the lead, the American female lead of the show being jealous of the younger guest star and sabotaging me and having my scenes cut and being mean to me before my close-ups And like, you know, just things I'm laughing about now. But at the time it was just like chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And all of a sudden, all the joy and all the love I had for this job was just Gone, and instead, I was like really, really just broken and insecure, and uh, they, like going in for stuff where I, I it did like I I didn't fit in. I was the wrong age for everything <laughs> because of what was happening in the business. It was like the height of Dawson's Creek era. So, mm. like everyone needed to look like they had just gotten out of college, and. I looked a lot older than my age back then. So, you know, they were like, well, we can't send you out with the 30 year olds because when you're next to a 30 year old, you don't look old enough to be 30. But when I was next to like the 20 year olds, I looked way too old. So the auditions got less and less. And all of a sudden I found myself going out for like yogurt commercial auditions <laughs> where it's like, you know, director straight out of college was criticizing me for not looking like I was enjoying my yogurt enough. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I've studied Shakespeare. So I quit.
1: I quit acting. (laughs) At the point where you decided to, to go ahead and, and quit the business, were you, because I know you said that you were on a few American shows.
2: Were you still living in um, Canada or had you? Yeah, this was in Toronto. I was, okay. I was living in Toronto. I was uh, engaged at the time um, because I was 28 and that's what people that's what supposed year olds are
0: supposed to do. 28-year-olds are
2: supposed to do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and I was engaged to somebody. I mean, that was also part of it. It was, it was not the best relationship and he very much did not love me acting. He wanted me closer to home um and not doing things where i would potentially have to make out with other men so you know the the more i was starting to feel insecure about it the more he was sort of massaging that Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) um emotional vampire
2: yeah yeah. I mean, it all kind of goes together. The codependency and the yep. insecurity and the need for validation and, you know, all that stuff that I didn't understand at the time. But now looking back, it's like, Oh girl, somebody save her. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I, I stopped acting. I, I went back to university for like a year and just studied, um, religion cause, I thought that was interesting. It was like, it was like, I turned 30 and went, Oh, okay. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to be when I grow up? Which is the thing that everyone else around me was doing in their twenties. But in my twenties I was working. Right. And when I stopped working, I'm like, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. That's, that's a career. I can <laughs> stop now. But everyone around me was just kicking into high gear with their own, either their careers or their like momhoods or their, you know, their family life. And I had no idea what to do with myself.
0: Yeah. You and I, you and I have very similar stories like that. <laughs> Cause I, I left college to go work in the concert world and, you know, I was pretty successful as a roadie for a long time and, you know, migrated into working corporate conferences and whatever, and kind of got to a point where I looked around and went, okay, I've been doing this for, you know, you th- know, between high school jobs and what I ended up doing in my 20s. I've been doing this for 15 years. What's next? You know? Yeah. And everybody else was, like you said, having their kids being born, you know, like moving into homes and doing all these other things. And I'm kind of looking at my second career option already. Like, I totally get that. Like,
2: it's a very weird place to be. It was very disconcerting. And, and again, not having any kind of support system or foundation other than people saying, well, shouldn't you be, or you should be, or there's a lot of shoulds and a lot of shouldn'ts and none of them made any sense to me Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, because ultimately I still didn't know who I was. I was still getting the reflection of who I was from everything outside of me. So you
1: hit a little bit of an identity crisis at that point.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it had been brewing. I mean, I think it had always sort of been there, but at that point it was, it was really like, okay, who, what do I want to do? So I just started doing everything and anything. I, I worked in fashion. I was like, I like clothes. So I worked in fashion. I worked in marketing. I worked in sales. I, you know, and everything was kind of fun for a little bit because it was like acting. It was like, I got to pretend to, or like put on it. I got to put on a costume and be a, fashion salesperson. I got to be a bartender, which isn't, you know, but it's, those are all roles that you put on, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which would be fun for a little bit. And then I was like, oh, this is work. (laughs) 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 This sucks. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And then at the same time, I, I started to get sick, um, like very sick, but like weird sick, like I was exhausted and I was, Uh, My body weight, my whole life I'd had problems with my weight. It was constantly fluctuating, like in a quasi extreme way, Um, you know, not, not, not extreme, extreme, like extreme makeover extreme. But like at that point I was in my early thirties, I was like 31 and I was, I had been very thin because I was on a, i wasn't working and i didn't know what i wanted to do with my life but i still had a very very rich social life so i was basically like sustaining myself on vodka and cocaine and cigarettes and coffee
0: wow
2: you know that it will especially when like you don't know what healthy is you know like healthy to me was was not having the fries with my food it was like ordering salad instead of fries um And I started to uh, be ill and I gained a lot of weight very quickly, like very, very quickly. And my body just kind of stopped functioning. It broke down on me and I I left Toronto and moved back to Montreal um, and went to all these doctors and nobody knew what was wrong with me. And everybody was like, take these pills. Get you know, go see a nutritionist. Go see a therapist. You're just depressed. You're just this. You're just that. And I was like, no, this doesn't feel right. This this there's something more here. And um,
0: and well, part of it had to be your age too. They're they can be really dismissive of symptoms at young ages.
2: For sure. Like and they tested me because... for a bunch of stuff. They just didn't weirdly test me for the right things um right. and yeah, you know, people can they can be very dismissive doctors i mean the thing that i tell people now and i speak to a, a lot of people when they find what people find me i'll always talk to them about health and wellness because i ended up getting into it for so many years but to me it's like you know your body and you know when you when when we become connected to that Inner voice that we all have, or intuition or the guide or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Oh, can we swear? Sorry. Yeah, you're fine. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, once you connect to that thing and you know what it is, you can't not listen to that. And I always encourage people to be their their biggest health advocates because yeah, doctors. I mean, they know, but they don't know. And especially if those doctors happen to be older. And you happen to be part of a a healthcare system that is heavily infrastructured and rule oriented. And, you know, as the Canadian system is, I mean, it's wonderful because we all get to go to the doctor, but it's also not wonderful because they're not that interested sometimes in really taking the time to figure out what's going on. I'll give you
0: you a little secret. The doctors here don't care either. So.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but it's true. Um, I had to, I had to go long and hard to find my, some amazing doctors when I lived in LA a few years ago.
0: You have to be your own advocate because ultimately nobody else is writing inside your flesh
1: vehicle, but you, well, and you know, you know your own body. So
2: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And when people are saying to you, like, you know, when people, when a doctor, when I'm sitting across the desk from a a man in his seventies, who's looking at me and saying, you know, there's a guy, I'd stopped getting my, my menstrual cycle for like, three years. Um, but this was kind of in the beginning of it all. And he's like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. You just need to, you know, get some therapy and go on a diet. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's not right. Uh, It's not right. That is not the answer. Um, so I'm going to nutshell my story and say that, um, few things happened and I ended up living in Thailand. (laughs) <laughs> Some stuff happened, and and, I, and this was stuff. pre getting a diagnosis that you moved to Thailand. Like we're oh, still yeah, unsure was, of this. Is I'm 32, and I went on vacation and decided to stay. My friends all left, and I decided to stay and go to a detox resort because I'm still the ego of of the actor and the validation of like what I look like and this fact that I if never mind that like going up a flight of stairs exhausted me to the point where I had to lie down and I hadn't gotten my period in like a year. It was that I thought I was fat and I needed to figure out why I was fat. And I wasn't fat. I mean, I was, I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now, but I still wasn't fat. It was that I was bloated beyond. It was this like bloating and it was the, it was also that my body, no matter what I did, my body was just doing its own thing. And that was so frustrating and unempowering when I didn't have the language to explain it. And so by going to this place, it started me on this journey of learning what that little voice was that had been talking to me for years and years and years and why I'd been so miserably unhappy and you know, the voice that I had heard when I was little that I tried to express to older people who never listened to me because, you, you know, what does an eight year old know about what's best for them? Meanwhile, I did know what was best for me. I was just taught to stop vocalizing that part of me and then to stop listening to that part of me. And I had to get back in touch with that part of me. And it was brutal. Brutally, brutally painful. Like I didn't realize how much pain I was in until I started. I was, I was pushed up against it and had to start feeling it. And, um, I met the most incredible people that were doing the most incredible things that I'd never even heard of that. I didn't know was a possibility. It was like at this resort I mean, it wasn't even a resort. It was like a really not, it was like a three-star And if anyone who's listening has ever been to Thailand, you know, you can go to places that are like six star, fancy, fancy, fancy. And this was not that. And I didn't even know. I just picked that. I just picked that. (laughs) And I met people like that were the most, I met a guy that did energy work with the Dalai Lama. He used to be a cop in Detroit and just had had enough and like found out that he was good at this energy healing stuff and now lived in Thailand and went all over the Island giving, healings to people at very, very fancy spas. And I ended up becoming friends with him and all this other like hodgepodge group of people that all lived in these places. And they were happy. And I'd never met people who were happy before. I'd never sat down with a group of women for lunch who weren't shit talking about other women while they were together. (laughs) They were like just having conversations and I didn't know how to talk to them. And I didn't know how to be around people. I didn't know how to let somebody hug me. It was, it was so fascinating and it forced me to be uncomfortable. It was the beginning of what forced me to be uncomfortable. And then through that, I ended up just kind of having these crazy, crazy serendipitous experiences that. I decided like I threw away my own rule book and I just started living by these experiences. You know, I I started living by feeling instead of by my head. And anytime my head got involved, everything would come to a halt. And then I would just kind of close my eyes. And I mean, literally, like I would stand. I remember standing in the airport in Bangkok and like looking up at the wall where they had all the flights, the outgoing flights listed. And I had no outgoing flight. And I would just stand up there and close my eyes and then take a deep breath and open my eyes and pick something and buy the ticket and go <laughs> and just show up there and not know anybody. And, and it was always terrifying. And I was always miserable for like the first 48 hours. And then everything would kind of just work out in the weirdest, like it's it just like so many coincidences that I had to stop thinking they were coincidences because, you know, stuff like that just doesn't happen. And I ended up living in, chiang mai in a in a room i I learned how to ride a, a motorbike and i found i someone i met took me to a a jazz club and it happened to be an open mic night and they knew that i used to sing so they went up and told the guys that i used to sing so they called me up to sing and then after they asked me to come back the next night and then they asked me to come back the next night And then the next thing you know, I was part of this band and I was singing with the band and I was living with the bassist and I was recording an album with them. And, you know, and like, I just, just like weird, crazy stuff. And then I went to Bali and I did my yoga teacher training and I met all these people in Bali and I lived in a tree house and, you know, and then I, then I swung the other way because I missed fancy things and like went to the fancy part of Bali and ended up dating a fashion designer and going like, it's like, no matter where I went, I always ended up meeting the people like that, that connected to other people. I ended up becoming this like very strange, accidental super connector. Um, (laughs) And I would still like, was so uncomfortable with who I was. Like I didn't quite fit into that piece because the more spiritual stuff I was learning about and the more that part of me was opening up, the more I knew I didn't fit into that other world, but I didn't also fit into the super spiritual world because Mm -hmm. that seemed very weird to me. So I kept trying, I was still acting, like I was still trying to fit into playing parts wherever you went. Yeah. And, and none of them really worked. Like they would work for a little bit, but then, it wouldn't work and things would start to kind of feel like they were going wrong and I would get very uncomfortable and then I would leave and I would move somewhere else. And then uh, I met someone from LA in Bali that I spent a lot of time with who told me about this type of meditation she practiced. And then she got me to come to India with her family and all these meditators from LA and learn how to meditate from these group of people. And then I immediately like became part of this group of people. And then I, moved to LA and lived with her and her family. And, and then I decided to do the teacher training to teach this meditation. And then I moved to Vancouver and I taught like all these people how to meditate. And then I moved back to Montreal and I was the first Canadian teacher of this meditation. I taught like 250 people in one year, but then again, everything got very weird and very uncomfortable and I couldn't relate to any of my friends and no one could relate to me. And You know, I didn't, if I'm teaching meditation, does that mean I can't drink? And if I drink, then does that make me a bad meditator? And I was still having all these mood problems. I was still having problems with my health, but I would, you know, like just so now I was on this like healing path and I was doing all of these different things. Anytime anybody would offer me anything, I would take it. I wanted to learn about it. I wanted to know it. I wanted to teach it. I wanted to experience it. And I spent 10 years just going everywhere in the world doing anything anybody offered to me. Like if somebody said, put this paper bag on your head, I'm going to light you on fire and dance around you and sing in a in Swahili. I would have been like, cool, let's do it. You know, I did ayahuasca. I drove through a rain forest on a motorbike in a, in a rainstorm in Thailand to see a guy that lived in a cave. So he could put um, acupuncture on me and light them on fire. Like, all of these crazy, crazy things. Um, I, I got into, I went into AA when I lived in LA at one point because I had a lot of friends that were sober. I met this whole sober community and I thought, well, maybe that's, maybe that's one of my problems. And um, I spent like six months in AA and then I was like, wait, nope, that's not my problem. <laughs> so I hopped <laughs> out of that. and um, And it's so funny because along the way of this 10 years, I would meet people who needed to know about the things that I'd done for their own lives. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So it would be like, why am I doing this? I don't understand why I'm experiencing this. And then like a year later, I'd get into a conversation with somebody and I'd go, Oh, I know what you're going through. I did that. Let me tell you about this. Let me connect you with that. Um, and, and, uh, then I, I, cut to, um, I guess I was 38, maybe 37. I ended up going back to LA. A friend, uh, was, was traveling and said, do you want to come sublet my apartment? And LA for me was always like my happy place. And I just wanted to live there. It was just, I could never live there legally. So I went and I had discovered, uh, Kundalini yoga a few years earlier. And fell in love with it because it was you know meditation but it was also singing and like very fluid dancey kind of movement and there was this community aspect it was this community thing that I didn't know that I was craving so like the community of AA the community of the meditation the community of the yoga community in Bali the fashion community the drinking community the bar community like you know this community of Kundalini people who all seemed very healthy. They didn't, you know, a lot of them were sober. They didn't have issues. They, they, a lot of them were actors or in the industry, but they all had this commonality of like wanting to enrich themselves spiritually to become better people, to become better, you know, stronger women, to get more identified with your feminine, to heal your body, to heal your nervous system, to heal your glandular system, all the shit that it was like, ding 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 you know like everything made sense to me and I felt so great when I went there and it was like doing drugs without doing drugs and you get so high and it was it was wonderful and I just again because I can't do anything like half-assed I needed to be in I needed to be like in the inner circle immediately I needed to you know offer myself and show up and and because I was still like super uncomfortable, just living my life, I would just go to classes, you know, just to, cause it seemed like a positive, a more positive choice. Um, and ended up doing Kundalini teacher training. And that's when I started to really notice that, um, again, I was not feeling well. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd kind of come to terms with the fluctuations in my body, although you know, living in LA, it was still a bit of a a pisser when I would be on the higher end than the lower end. But um, it was more like, at this point, I'm like meditating six hours a day between the Vedic meditation practice I had, which was 20 minutes twice a day. And then the two to three classes of Kundalini I was going to, I was pretty much just like always meditating. And when I had all these tests done and they saw like my cortisol level was through the roof and my adrenals were shot and all of this, and I was stressed, stressed, stressed. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like this is <laughs> I'm the like, stuff a that I
0: meditator. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I'm like, I teach people to do what I do so that they don't experience this. Like, what does that mean? Um, and I had this lump in my neck that I kept showing to people for a year, saying, like, do you see this? Like, do you see this thing in my neck? And does that look weird to you? Because it kind of hurts. And, you know, as the year went on, it got harder and harder for me to do the workouts that I was doing. I couldn't do a push-up anymore. I couldn't lift my arm up for more than in Kundalini, we do a lot of like arms raised for 31 to 62 minutes. Um, I couldn't hold my arm up. If I was singing, I would lose my breath. I would lose my voice. I couldn't sing the way I used to sing. And I was like, something is really, really, really wrong here, but everyone's still telling me that nothing's wrong. And nothing's this is like wrong. seven
1: years into your initial symptoms that you went to the doctor. This is for like, it.
2: Yeah. Like, so that it started, started when I was like 31 and now I'm almost 40.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and so I was coming back to Montreal for, uh, it was September, and I was coming back for the holidays, the Jewish holidays, but I was also giving a lecture on meditation and cancer for um, a foundation. And while I was here, I my parents live across the street from like a private medical clinic because we have a very – we very much have a two-tiered medical system here now. Right. Um, because if you want to get something done through the social system, you can. If you know, but you might be dead by the time your appointment rolls around. Uh, and I needed to have this done just mostly because everybody was telling me it was nothing, and I was like, okay, well, if it's really nothing, then I want to know it's nothing so that I can stop thinking right. about it and just adjust my way of thinking to accepting. And because that's kind of where I'd gotten with everything else. I was just like, okay, this is what my body's doing. This is where my body's going to be. And instead of hating it, I was learning to accept it and live with it. Um, and I had the ultrasound and the nurse came in and then the technician came in and then they kept going out and coming in and going out. And I was like, well, this is really weird. If it's nothing, like, why am I still here? And then they were <laughs> like, you need to see, um, you need to get a biopsy but like, you can't wait to go through the system. You have to get it now, like down the hallway, go down the hallway. Do you have (laughs) $1,100 go down the hall and get it. And I called my parents and my mom came like running over and uh, I had a biopsy and they looked at, you know, the guy looked at it and he said, okay, well, it's probably a growth it's probably benign it'll probably have to come out anyway because obviously it's like pressing on some nerves and that's why you're having all this pain but don't worry it's not cancer and i went excuse me what (laughs) (laughs) and uh he said yeah it's 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 probably not you know it could be three things but like it's probably not cancer and i said cancer of, of what i don't understand he goes well it's pressing on your thyroid and i was like well what's a thyroid and he kind of explained it to me. I don't, I honestly, I don't even remember. I think I went into like a haze right.
0: and, um,
2: and then I left and I was like, okay, well, it's probably not cancer. So that's what I was thinking. It's probably not cancer. Um, and a week later they called me and I was back in LA and I was in the whole foods parking lot. And the guy just, he's like, yes, you have cancer. And I'm like, could you not have told me to pull over the car? <laughs> like <laughs> was driving um yeah and it turned out I had a tumor the size of a potato like a fingerling like a like a fingerling potato on my thyroid that had been growing probably for a good number of years um, and I had like a very advanced case of thyroid cancer mm. um so I went, Back Instead of going to Italy for my 40th birthday, like I'd always planned, I went back to Montreal and went to live with my parents and spent my 40th birthday um, advocating for myself again, knocking down doors, trying to get uh, the best surgeon and not the one that I had been hooked up with, Um, the 500-year-old man that wanted to cut through my vocal cords to get the tumor out. Um yeah because <laughs> um because it it had grown it it had been in there for so long that it it had kind of like started attaching itself.
0: Right. So there's it like tendrils.
2: Yeah. So they didn't know that at the time but that's what they found after. Anyway, I ended up getting like the best guy and I love him and he has an amazing god complex and you know that's that's what you want when you when you want a surgeon, you want someone who thinks that they're god. Um If anybody, if anybody has one takeaway from this podcast, you don't want the timid surgeon. (laughs) No. Or the guy who's been doing it for 500 years and like, doesn't even have time to answer your questions because he just is so old hat at it. Um, Yeah. So I had my surgery and it it had been growing tendrils and it was wrapping itself around my, my vocal cords. And um, thyroid cancer is is a is a funky thing because a lot of people consider it to be a good cancer the good cancer. Uh so I got a lot of like, oh it's just thyroid cancer. Oh, okay, you'll be fine. Right.
1: It's the survival cancer. cancer. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Like don't talk about don't talk about it like you have real cancer. <laughs> Cause you'll offend people who have real cancer. Um so you know, so again I found myself in this place where my voice wasn't you know, I wasn't allowed to voice the things that I was feeling and the things that I wanted to say, I was again, like told to not valid, not valid. And I went through everything and, and did everything that I was supposed to do and went back to LA and then they found more cancer. So I had to have another surgery a month after or two months after my last surgery. Um, and they took out like a bunch of lymph nodes in my neck and, uh, and then I I had a boyfriend who was in my spiritual community and I hadn't had a boyfriend in like eight years. And he was my first, my first like real, I thought like healthy, healthy, spiritual love. Um, and I had to come back to Montreal to do my radiation therapy, which um which is so funny because now we've all been in quarantine for a year. It's not as dramatic, but I had to be in quarantine for um, like 10 days because mm-hmm. I was I was radioactive. <clears throat> um, and he broke up with me over FaceTime while I was in quarantine. Wow. Oh, no. And I was living with him, so I had to go back, and I was like kind of homeless, and, like living in Airbnbs, and it was such a weird time. <laughs> Um, and uh, and still in my Kunali community, but starting to be a little bit like, these people are weird and, <laughs> you know, they just wanted me to be happy all the time. And I wasn't happy. I was actually like really angry and upset because it was starting to dawn on me that everything I'd learned over the last 10 years was a lie. Which is not true, of course. There, I learned a lot, and it formed who I am. And, but there was a lot of information that was kind of false. And in, you know, in cults, when you, they want you to believe everything, right? Well, they're so trying we, to sell
0: you something. Right? Exactly,
2: and if you stop buying, <laughs> if you're contrary into what to the selling, thing they're trying to
0: sell, you're a danger to the sale To the exactly. next. Exactly.
2: So yeah. all of a sudden, I found these people that had been my community and my friends not answering my phone calls and not being as inviting and not being as welcoming and i started to feel like more and more and more lost again and what am i doing with my life again and and i'd gone through this cancer stuff and i was still you know like i was up and down and up and down and the thyroid controls everything right the thyroid controls Mm -hmm. your hormones it controls your metabolism it controls how you sleep it controls your energy levels it controls your moods your sexual feelings, your sexual ability, like everything that had been quote unquote wrong with me since I was a a teenager of
0: chemical interactions in your body. Yeah,
2: exactly. And if the traffic cop and the lights aren't moving at the same time, or he's given the wrong signals to the wrong thing, everything just misfires. So it made so much sense as to all of the things I've been struggling with my whole life. And then to look back and go, well, then who am I if all of that stuff and all of this? And then that last 10 years when I've been learning all that spiritual stuff and it's like, oh, wait, it was just cancer in me the whole time. Like, what does that mean about all the spiritual stuff that I've learned? And what does it mean about all the choices I've made and the experiences that I've had? And it was all just way too overwhelming for me. Um, and I was turning 41. So another year had passed and I was like, fuck it. I'm going to Italy. Going to Italy. I'm not waiting for a man to take me, like I'd been waiting my whole life. I'm like, I'm going by myself and I'm gonna go just for like three weeks and I'm gonna go to Italy. And I hadn't traveled and, you know, really traveled since the Thailand-Bali thing. Um, And I didn't know if I could do it anymore because I was older now, like now I'm 41. It's It's not cute to like pick up a guy and ask him if he can light your cigarette to start up a conversation, you know, I didn't even smoke anymore. So, um, but no, I went to Italy and all of that weird serendipitous stuff started happening again. I met some, you know, I like ended up in a cafe and found a flyer for a tattoo and our tattoo artist, And I liked it. I got into tattoos and I like to get tattoos when I travel and, and I found it. And then, then I was outside a, a place just having a drink by myself that I had a place I found. And so I went back like, Two, three nights in a row or days, afternoons. And this man came up to me and he's like, I've seen you here the last two nights. Like, you shouldn't be by yourself. You know, you're a pretty young woman and not in the not in a sleazy way, just in a like, it's sad that you're here by yourself. Come and meet my friends. Right. And introduced me to all his friends. And then somebody called on the phone and he said to the guy who's like, Oh, you know. Uh, I'm sitting here with this girl. You're going to meet her when you get back. And he's like, and he's speaking to me in Italian. He didn't speak English. We were kind of like, he spoke some French. I spoke French. I spoke no Italian. He spoke no English. And we had Google Translate. And some of his friends spoke some English. So we were sort of like <laughs> communicating like this. And he's the guy he's talking to on the phone. And he goes, Oh, I met this girl. You know, she's from Canada. And he goes, This is my friend, Paulo. He's, He's also from Canada. He's a tattoo artist. And I pull out the flyer and I was like, wait, is it this guy? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that's the guy I was trying to get in touch with to give me a tattoo. And (laughs) it was his best friend. And he put me on the phone with him. And this guy was from Toronto and had moved to Italy with his wife a few years earlier. And then it turned out that we had known all the same people in Toronto that we'd actually met like 10 years earlier. And (laughs) It just like crazy stuff, and we ended up like becoming best best friends. And I ended up moving to Florence. I went back to LA, and I was like, "Fuck this! I'm done with this." Trump. Oh, and Trump got elected while I was in Florence. Trump got elected, so I was like, "Well, there's no way my visa is being renewed." Um, <laughs> well, it was a good time to get I, out anyway, right? Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. and I don't even want to be there, and. You know, I want to be in a place where I can drink wine and I can eat carbs and nobody was talking about their spiritual life. Nobody I knew meditated. Nobody was talking about their process or their feelings or their anything. Nobody talked about anything like that. People were just being people hanging out with people, this this uh, Mediterranean kind of piazza everyone looks out for everybody. Nobody let me eat dinner by myself. Nobody let me do anything by myself. Like everyone took care of me. Everyone took care of each other. And I just fell in love with it. And I was like, why am I doing, why have I been punishing myself my whole life? Like I'm going to move to Italy and I'm going to learn Italian and I'm going to go see old Italian things. And I'm going to eat pasta every day and drink wine every day and smoke cigarettes with the Italians. And, meet a nice Italian man, which never happened. And, uh, <laughs> and I ended up living in Italy for two years.
1: Now and, it, I yeah. saw your link tree that you, you blog and you write is it, At what point did you start doing all that and like sharing
2: about your journeys and experiences and things? Um, I'd always been writing. I've always been writing since I was very little. I used to write poems and journals and, super sad songs um and then i and creative writing and stuff like that I, I loved writing it was it was something that came very naturally to me and um but always like in my own voice like i'm not i wasn't a very good fiction writer i'm a very good like personal essay style writer not that i knew what that was um, and When I lived in LA and uh, was in the Kundalini thing, I had gone on a retreat and met this girl who lived in Laguna Beach, and she, um, I think she was Persian, and she had a very wealthy. She came from a very wealthy family where her father, like, didn't have a son, but sort of looked to her like she was the son, and empowered her to be very enterprising. And she would started up a blog. It wasn't a blog, it was an online magazine. Um, I had had blogs sort of throughout and I would write very, very, very honest. You know, I treated it kind of like a, a diary. And this right. was very early on in the blog world. And I would write things about my feelings and then I would get an email from someone from my life like i would i can't believe I would, you wrote that <laughs> yeah like yeah. i can't believe you wrote that Take yeah, it.
0: Down. i went through all that with my blogs too
2: <laughs> yeah Very and instead kind of because i did take it down and i wish i hadn't um and i wish i was technical enough to like put something together now although i've tried a million times and i just can't figure out how to do it but uh, yeah, she, she asked me, she knew that I liked writing and she liked the way I told stories. I'm a, I'm, I like telling stories. And even when I taught meditation and when I taught Kundalini, I'm a, I'm a visual thinker and I'm a visual speaker. So I science and facts and all of that stuff does not translate to me, but analogies and stories fairy tales. I was obsessed with fairy tales when I was little. So still am and mythology and stuff like that. So I loved telling stories and she liked the way that I spoke and asked me if I wanted to write for her new magazine. And I said, sure. And I just started writing personal growth. I was like the personal growth author. I also did, uh, once I moved to Italy, um, I wrote some travel stuff for them. Because I got to travel around Europe a little bit while I was there, and so I would write about some of the places I went. Um, but mostly it was personal growth stuff. And then after writing for them for like four years, I stopped because they were getting pretty big, but it was kind of like it was becoming like a goop mm. sort of mm. situation, and okay. I I I couldn't write for these. I'm uh, like sorry if they're listening, but like these, you know white privileged, entitled millennial girls that American millennial, you know, with their saffron, matcha, latte drinking, like, you know, there's a whole real world after cancer, everything kind of changed. Like after I allowed myself to sort of start feeling pain, and then I drowned in my pain, a bit. um, Like all of that stuff, you start, I started seeing it in a in a very different lens. And I couldn't I ran out of things to write about, you know, like yeah. I, I wasn't going to start writing about the law of attraction every, every well, week. I think, I think
0: it's natural as we progress in life and go through the various phases, you know, like you get to a point where you don't relate anymore to.
2: Yeah.
0: days you were in 20 years ago, like, yeah, no matter absolutely. how hard you try, you can't, can't really write to that anymore because it's not who you are, you know? And Which as I think you. This- As you experience things like cancer survival or loss of loved ones or divorces or whatever, the more, the more your pain experience grows, kind of the larger your view of everything becomes. It's really hard to relate.
2: Ideally. I mean, ideally we, we would take all these experiences that life gives us and grow from them. You know, that's one hopes, (laughs) one hopes. And you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me because my head is filled with so much information now that it's, it is hard for me to experience things and not have all of that information come in and say, well, you know, I not even in a should, should way, but like we one ought to be able to grow from pain and people who don't grow. It's, it's hard to give those people time. You know, how much patience do you have for people that aren't going to grow? And, it's ironic that like i i um after a lot of work when i was living in italy i i finally went into therapy for the first time in like 15 years because when you do all that spiritual work they're very anti therapy you know you right. should be able to like meditate it out of you hmm. um and i forced myself to confront <clears throat> you know those, those like long standing childhood issues of, of not knowing who I was and the situations I would get myself in and the running and the moving and the seeking and what, you know, what was I looking for? And what was, I was really always looking for is me. It's just that I was always looking outside of me for me because I never just flipped the mirror around and saw myself. The mirror was always facing the outside. Um,
0: well, you were encouraged actively to suppress the you when you were young. Yeah. yeah.
2: And you which suppressed I it think, so much you, know, you didn't
0: ever get to explore it.
2: I can't, and I can't, I went through the period of being angry at my parents like we all do. And, you know, now I know, mm-hmm. like, it's not, it's nothing they did wrong. It's just, it was very of the times in the seventies, yeah. like that very, like Dr. Spock sort of. How to raise children like a like a British person, and my mom was British. That so probably didn't um, my dad no, used to
0: tell me. I'm sorry, son, you didn't come with instructions.
2: Instructions. Yeah, I heard that one a lot. You didn't come <laughs> with instructions. I did the best I could, and they did. Yeah. Um. You know, but part of my healing was then at some point I just knew it was time to come back to Montreal, which was this place I'd always been running away from, and to what you just said. To me, Montreal is very much a place where there isn't a lot of growth. It's people who have known each other their whole lives, who, you know, grew up together, went to all the same schools together, went to all the same camps together, dated each other, married each other, had families together. Now their kids all go to school together. They all go to Florida together. And to me, I was like, how do you do that? Why? How? Where's the growth? Where's the growth? How do you relate to each other? But they relate to each other you know, it's okay. It's just not, it's just not me. It's not my, yeah. it's well, not my people. Their and personal
0: experiences are a bit more aligned with one another's than yours is with theirs because you went on this much and, farther, far reaching journey for yourself.
2: And I had to, I didn't really have a choice. Um, yeah. And I came back here and, um, and then like, The more I was here, the more I started like it's like closing a lot of circles that I think were sort of broken open Mm -hmm. um over the years. And acting was sort of like the final thing that I needed to heal. And I had so much anger and pain about it that even when people would ask me, and it happens all the time, it happens all the time. I would talk to people and they're like, why'd you stop acting? or You know, what what was either, why'd you stop acting? Why'd you quit acting? Why don't you start acting again? And I had answers, lots of answers. And I never liked talking about what happened because it still was very humiliating to me. I still got messages, you know, I've had to change my Facebook name twice. I had to change my Instagram name. I get, I still got a message like two days ago from somebody that said they saw me naked on, you know, they say, oh, I, some weird creepy dude like oh I saw you on da 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 and it's like I can't make that stuff go away it doesn't bother me anymore the way it did right. um but I didn't think I could ever go back to it because so much time had passed um and I don't know last year around uh somebody it was like a like a year and a half ago someone interviewed me for a, a series they were doing uh, just a a girl in montreal was doing this thing of like 52 women one woman a week Mm -hmm. for a year um all different kinds of women and she had seen a lot of my instagram stuff and my writing and she asked if she could interview me and i ended up telling this like all of this stuff came out that i didn't i don't know why the conversation went that way it just did and she said to me you know why don't you start acting again it seems like there's something there that maybe you it's time you you revisit and i don't know and it was just timing and as much work as i'd done on myself and maybe i was ready for it uh i called up my agent that was like my first 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 agent when i was 20 (laughs) and i asked if i could meet with her and she said yes and i went and i just wanted to talk to her about it and like talk about everything that had happened and and by the end of the conversation, she's like, so when are you, you know, let's do this. And I was like, Oh, okay, <laughs> let's do this. And then COVID happened. So here we are. <laughs> so you're in the let's do are you still in the let's do this. I'm still at us yeah. I'm still in the let's do this. My expectations have changed greatly. Um, my process has changed greatly. My feelings about myself have changed greatly and my feelings about acting have changed greatly. I think in a weird way, having this past year has been sort of wonderful because it enabled me to um, really, really work on acting again for the first time in God knows how many, like I can't remember the last time I took an acting class. So I've been doing some classes on Zoom and stuff like and reading a lot and watching a lot of YouTube acting classes and teachers and stuff like that. But also having to self tape, you know, all the, all the nerves and the anxiety and the, Oh my God, will they like me of walking into a room? I had, I had a good couple of auditions before COVID. Um, but the bulk of them have really been over the last year and it's gotten me comfortable with finding myself and finding my groove and like, I don't even know if I really need it anymore. I was saying this to my partner, uh, to my boyfriend, like the other, like two weeks ago, I, one day I was like, you know, I don't know. Like, I think I might be, I think I might be good. Like, I think, (laughs) I don't know if it's, it's, it's not that I don't want to act. It's the business of acting that's always kind of been gross to me. And it's still, it still is, but I love entertainment and I love entertaining and I, I watch more TV than the normal average human. I love writing. I love stories, like I said. So there's a process there. There's something for me in it that I haven't quite found the thing yet, but I know that this is all part of getting to that thing. And, you know, Clubhouse has been, really fascinating because I dove into like all the acting rooms and the casting director rooms and the acting actors talking to actors and agents talking to actors. And I got to share some of my stories and all of that. And then like also kind of recently I've, I've been looking for other things. I was like, oh yeah, this is why I, this is, these are some of the things I didn't love about the business. There's, you know i want to know about what's going on in the world i want to know about neuroscience i want to know about ai i want to know about cryptocurrency you know i don't want to know about cryptocurrency. <laughs> um <laughs> but i just want to i want to connect with people and that's what i've been loving about clubhouse is it's it's kind of like getting to travel again you know getting to plot myself down at a at a bar with a long you know, with a, a room full of strangers, and start up a conversation, and yeah, it's make like attending conferences. People, yeah, kind of. I mean, it's a little less cold. Well, some of them are kind of cold, but I, I think <laughs> there's a the thing that I discovered again that, like, for me, acting was about telling stories mm-hmm. and traveling on my own. Was also like, it's like when I used to sit in my closet and make up stories and make believe things and and turn myself into somebody who was a part of a story. Yeah, it's the same thing when I used to travel. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: and I mean, you know, now being locked in my house for going on uh, a year and a bit, like. I hit, I hit a wall there. And so like, thank God I had a little bit of the acting. At least I had auditions and things to sort of work on. But the, the most interesting part was like, I'm not running away. I don't need to run away from myself anymore. And I actually think that my stories are just as interesting, if not more interesting than some of the stuff I'm getting the acting stuff for, Right. you know? Right. Um. yeah.
0: Okay. So, so to wrap up, I've got two questions for you. Okay. Okay. The first one is my question. What advice would you give to a young actress coming into the business right now? And the second question is Whitney's favorite question, which is if you have something you want to do, some dream project, some dream goal that you'd like to achieve, this is your chance to put it out into the world. What's and, your
2: uh, ideal future?
0: Make it, <laughs> make it manifest. So,
2: yeah. Okay. Which one do I answer first? Does it matter?
0: Advice. Start advice. with, the advice.
2: Advice. Start with the advice. Advice. Yeah. How How old is this person?
0: <laughs> Say they're in their early twenties, specifically a woman in her yeah. early twenties, like just starting out in the biz. What would you tell them?
2: Uh. <laughs> I would I would tell them to really take some time to get to know themselves and their and to work on their connection with themselves, their feelings of self worth, their feelings of self validating. Um, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of Rooms and clubhouses and places where people say, like, we don't dictate your self worth, and, and you know if you don't get the part, don't let that, don't let that make you feel bad about yourself. But the truth is, you're gonna hear a lot more no's than you are gonna hear yeses. And if your internal yes, if your internal knowledge of who you are, and your connection with that voice inside of you isn't strong enough. Then those no's are going to start being the only thing you hear, and that's going to start dictating how you feel about yourself. It's it's inevitable. It's impossible not to. Um, and on the flip side of that, when people do start saying yes to you, remember who you are and keep that connection to yourself, because the yeses, you know, could turn into no's. Everything comes in waves: bad days, good days sunshine rain more sunshine yes no today is a no tomorrow is a yes but then the day after that might be a no and it's not about at the end of the day getting the job and the and the validation and the fame and the money and all that if you it's so it's so cliche to say but if you don't know who you are like really really know who you are and you don't like that person, none of that stuff is going to matter. And in fact, it's going to it's going to amplify it, and it's going to be bad. <laughs> it's just going to be bad. Um, I mean, and of course, the stuff is wonderful when it happens, but it it needs to be the icing on the cake, not the whole cake. Right. You have Very to have advice. a strong thank you. Like when I used to teach people how to meditate, and they'd be like, but what about this? And what about that? And what about surfing? And what about mindfulness and all of that and i'm like yeah all of those things are great but if you don't have a solid foundation then what are you gonna it's like decorating a house why would you go and buy the paintings and the carpet and the sofa and the curtains if
1: all you have have is a plot of
2: land and you have no walls you need to lay the foundation yeah and only you can do that only you know what that means and find out what that means and you don't have to be perfect and it's not you don't have to be at the top of the mountain, but at least have a strong foothold.
0: Yeah. Very wise, very wise advice okay. and totally perfect summary of your journey. Which yeah. I
2: yeah. And the other question,
0: Whitney's favorite question.
2: Yep, Whitney's my favorite, favorite question. question. Um, I feel like depending on what day you're asking me this, you might get a different answer from me. Not might, you mm-hmm. would because, mm-hmm. uh, in my in my ever ever never ending quest to figure out what a what I want to be when I grow up, um, one thing is kind of always stuck with me, and that is that I would love to create. Uh, I'd love to somehow be part of a production company that creates television um, that influences people in a higher level of consciousness way without lifetime channel oprah smacking them in the face so i used to call it when i was first coming up with this idea like the girls for hbo meets whatever spiritual thing you could think of but it's not that i think now it's like i realize that the subject matter doesn't necessarily need to be of a higher conscious it's just the people working on it need to want to be want to accomplish something more in the life and like just infusing that energy into the content and then putting it out there so yeah more things that amplify strong voices for younger women women in their 20s women that are growing up more more shows where it's not about the girl getting the guy or the girl having the baby or the girl Getting validated by all these wonderful things happening to her, but you know, maybe just people on their journeys and
0: shows that are a bit more mindful of self.
2: Yeah, but still very cool and sexy and fashionable and you know, Emily in Paris, but actually good. You know, like, (laughs) um, (laughs) sorry, like, you know, that's why that's why shows like Euphoria are so cool and I may destroy you and stuff like that like yeah okay they're a little heavy but like real real women's experiences real people's experiences pose you know there's there's a lot more people doing things and I would love to be part of that someone that's bringing content to the masses to maybe spark spark a little bit of light in someone else's journey and I also very very much want to write my book i just have to start (laughs)
0: there you go so one day oh michelle thank you so much for uh, sharing your journey with us
2: yeah
1: this is great thank you you've led a guys awesome life it was cool journey thank you for sharing yeah thank you hello there citizens i am the terror that flaps in the night I am the floaty that will
0: not flash no matter how many times you try in the toilet bowl of crime. I am Darkwing Duck, telling you, please, talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm, <laughs> whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching Intellectual Podcast with your ears.